Chapter 21 of A Girl of High Adventure. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Francesco Dembinski. A Girl of High Adventure by L. T. Mead. Chapter 21 The Palace of Truth. In the morning, the old Comte Saint-Just was less feverish, but nevertheless not himself. He had, as he complained, a confused feeling. The world is full of roses, oh, the most charmantes and of Coltilda's equally divine. They were coming up the avenue in automobiles. They were entering the room. They were sitting with him. They were pouring into his ear the fact that his mission was not accomplished. He had gone to the establishment, but he had not seen the little wonder. He could not rest until he saw her. In vain, Margot tried to soothe him. She longed beyond words to quit his mind by telling him the simple truth, that she was la petite. She was the little wonder of the establishment, Marcel. But when she hinted at such a proceeding to la belle de grande mère, that poor woman gave a cry of bitter horror. Thou wilt kill mon Alphonse, thou wilt not be so cruel, thou canst not be so cruel. Ah, but I ought, I ought, sobbed Margot. Madame la grande mère consulted the doctor. Monsieur le docteur said that if anything was told at the present moment to the excited very old man, it could be his death. If Margaret would not promise silence, she must keep out of the room. It will soothe him, ma belle grand-mère, cried la Margot. Nevertheless, la comtesse kept the child from the sick men's room. One hour he grew better. Another hour weaker, his strength kept fluctuating. Then he began to watch the door. It will soon be time for la petite comtesse to return. I want la petite, he said to his wife. The distracted woman kept on telling him that she should soon appear. The comte kept on listening. He fixed his sunken eyes on the clock. How soon will the time fly? he cried impatiently. How soon will la petite be in these arms? Poor little Margot was upstairs, struggling with the great despair that had visited her. The dear old man, the dearest old man in all the world except the Desmond, why was she not with him? How wicked of people to tell lies! She would never tell another. She resolved, as soon as she returned to Desmond's town, to tell the Desmond also the whole truth. Toward evening, the Comte's temperature went down. It went down to normal, below normal, far below. Madame was thankful, thinking the worst was over. The old man dropped into a quiet sleep. He looked very aged in that sleep. The doctor came in. Madame exclaimed excitedly, Ah, monsieur, 
Le docteur. I have news of the best. His temperature is... Then she suddenly stopped speaking. The doctor's face was very grave. He prepared a strong stimulant and forced the old man to swallow it in teaspoons. Then he went into another room with Madame la Comtesse. What is the matter, he said. Has the child betrayed you? No, no, replied Madame. I have put her upstairs. But he thinks she is still at school at Arles, learning, ever learning, dancing, ever dancing, making herself très jolie. Ah, that is what he thinks, mon adore the one. Listen, madame, said the doctor. Your husband is ill, very ill indeed. Keep the little one away if you can, but if not, let her go to him. It may be possible that the truth and the truth alone may serve him, save him. Even now, I will come back in two hours. Try to save him from shock if possible. But behold, if it is necessary, fetch la petite comtesse. The doctor departed and Madame went back to her husband's bedside. He was talking in a rambling, feeble way and cooked looking at himself at the dock clock and then at the door la petite she does not arrive he said suddenly as suddenly a thought flashed through the mind of la comtesse she will not be here till late tonight mon enfance was her reply she has been asked to partake of tisane with her cousins the marquis coltide heroes she will much to tell thee when she does enter thy room Ah, said the poor old Comte feebly. Is she also one of those who overlook the old, the aged, when they hard, can hardly speak, hardly think? Time flies for us both. Ah, ma petite comtesse, mon ange. I may not be here if thou dost delay. I want her to tell me. What, my happy one, said his wife. All about that wonderful petite. To perform such extraordinary feats at the establishment, which one was thine and my Ninon? All of a sudden, the heart of Ninon rose in a great wave. It seemed to struggle for utterance. She should scarcely contain herself. Hearken, monarch Fonzo, she said. I will go myself and see whether the automobile has not yet returned. Ah, do, my Ninon replied Comte, though at least hast always been faithful and true faithful, loving and true, I trust thee to the utmost. The poor woman staggered out of the room. She was met by little Margot, who was standing in the passage and whose face was the colour of a white sheet. Her deep, dark eyes were full of untold misery. Belle gone now, she began. But Gornel has no words to express her feelings. She pointed to the door where the sick man lay. Thou mightst save him. Thou hast my permission, she said in the lowest whisper. And little Margot, with her gentle step, entered the darkened room. She knew at once that it was a trifle too hot. She opened wide one of the French windows. She let in the soft air, which... Winter time, as it was in most places, felt like summer here. The old man breathed more easily. 
He turned on his pillow. He opened his eyes so very sunken in his head. But they lit up with joy beyond expression when he saw little Muggle. Ah, I am weak, mon enfant, he said. But thou hast come, ma petite. Put thy little hand on mine. There is a life in thy little hand. Lay it on mine. Ah, ma petite, how greatly do I love thee. And I thee, mon grand-père, cried Magor. Tell me, said the comte. After a few minutes' silence, during which Margot had fed him with some of the doctor's restorative, tell me what thou didst do at the establishment today. Didst thou buy a chapeau? Didst thou watch the little wonder as she sold chapeau and robes for Madame Marcel? I was not there at all today, grandpère. Ah, ma petite, but wast thou there yesterday? Mais oui, said Margot. And didn't thou perchance see the little wonder? I saw her. She is not a wonder. Ah, ma petite, be thou not of the jealous ones, said the old man. That would not be worthy of thee. Thou hast thy gifts, she has hers. Her chapeaux, they are perfect. Her taste, it is what I never saw before. Tell me about her, chérie. I will, said Margot. If thou, mon grand-père, will let me put both of my hands round one of thine, and if thou wilt promise not to, not to turn away afterwards. Turn thee away, best beloved. It couldn't be. Ah, but it might be, said little Magor. There is a burden on my mind. There is a, I call it not a fear, but it approaches in the direction of a fear. La petite, who sells les chapeaux, les robes, and all the other articles of refinement in the establishment is thine own mago. Dost thou hear me? I will not keep it back from thee any longer. That pauvre belle grand-mère thought it was the best for thee not to know. But there are cruel people in the world who tried to tell thee, but failed. So now I tell thee. The ladies who came to here yesterday were of a cruel sort. The girl in the grass-green hat was of the cruel sort. But thy Margot, thy Margot, mon grand-père, art thou angry with thee? Mais non, non. His face was whiter than ever he could scarcely swallow. After a little he seemed to gather strength. Call thy belle grand-mère back to me, Margot, he said. Margot fetched the poor woman. She came in, trembling from head to foot. I have told him he had to know whispered Magor. The old man's eyes were bright now with some of the brightness of yore. His voice was firmer, too. Listen, no, no, he said. Behold, keep thy hand in mine, Magor, beloved. Nino, I thought thou wert truthful, and I thought this child truthful. But she, la petite, has told me all the truth at last. I cannot appear before the great Almighty with a sin of pride on my soul. Behold, now we are all alike in heaven. Only make me one promise, Nino. Never again shall this little one enter the establishment of Madame Marcel. Never except to buy. She shall not, mon Alphonse, said Nino. Falling at his side and burying her face in the counterpane and beginning to weep. Thy tears distressed me said the old man. 
Behold, la petite, she does not weep. I come of those who regard tears as not wise, said Malo. But, behold, I promise thee, grandpere, I promise at all, all my heart, I will never again sell in the establishment, Marcel. Then see how happy I am, said Monsieur le Comte. I am in the palace of truth. For a long time I lived in the palace of lies. Gorgeous in colour was that palace, and very beautiful in the senses. Nevertheless, it was the palace of lies. Now I breathe the healthy air of truth. Thou hast spoken, mon enfant. Thou hast promised, Maninon. There is no pride left. For me, I also did wrong. The spirit of pride led me wrong. Then, grandpère, we are all happy together, said Margot. But see, do not talk, he has fallen asleep. The old Comte de Saint-Just had fallen asleep, and there was a lovely smile, something like that of an angel on his face. The child and the woman watched him. The doctor came in presently and shook his head. He deliberately took in a seat in the room and partly closed the window which Margot had opened. The restorative, monsieur le docteur, cried poor madame. He could not swallow now, said the doctor, but I will stay. Yes, I will stay to the end. The end came in the early hours of the morning. The old comte slipped silently, softly, and painlessly out of this life and into a better one. And poor Bellingham now cried as though her heart would break. But Margot did not cry. She made wreaths of violets out of their own garden to surround him. She was never idle for a moment. She put in his hands the rose of France. He had lost the look of age. He had slipped back twenty, even thirty years. But for his white hair, he did not look so very old. It is because the angels have kissed him, said little Margot. Madame wept nearly the whole of the day, but Margot kept quiet, thoughtful, busy. She had much to do for la belle de Gamelle. Towards the evening, the tired woman lay down and slept, and little Margot sat in the room with a dead grandfather, where the great wax candles were lighted, seven at the head of the bed and seven at the feet. The room was full of the scent of violets. If that is death, I should like to go, too, some day, thought this Margot. All in a moment, she observed the sweet smile on the lips of the dead man, and there came a lump in her throat. Had she not remembered that she was a Desmond, she might have cried. But being a Desmond, she kept back her tears. The servant sat in the passage outside. They were surprised that Margot should like to be alone with the dead. But Margot was without fear because she loved so dearly. I am glad, I told him, she said once or twice to herself. And then she thought of the Desmond and resolved that she would tell him too. For lies were not of the kingdom of God. And she wanted to belong to that kingdom and to that alone. What did a dot matter? What did riches matter? Pauvre belle grand-mère, thought the little girl. I will always uphold her and strengthen her and help her in my little, poor way. But she shall not spend her money on me. After the funeral, the will was read. Fergus Desmond and the Uncle Draco came over for the service and the after-ceremony. 
Margot was quietly told of the extent of the funds which would be at her disposal when she came of age, or before that if she married. They were for her French grandfather's present to his beloved grandchild, for la belle grand-mère looked with anger at Margot. Margot took her hand. I must speak the truth, and now, she said, mon grand-père was rich only because of his most dear lady, and I will not take the money. No, not a penny of it. She earned it for him. For him. You cannot refuse, said the notary. See, there was a deed of a gift made to you. The deed would walk if you did refuse. But Margot said gently and firmly that she did not believe in that sort of thing. For cher grand-père was in the heavenly garden with God, and that anyhow, she now meant to make a deed of gift. All those present turned and stared at her. Behold, she cried, the dot was arranged for me, who care not for money at all. I give back every farthing of it to la belle grand-mère, and I will come and see her once, at least, every year. And I love her, for she was a true, brave heart. But now I must go back to the Desmond, for I hear his voice calling me across the waters. All in vain did la belle grand-mère implore of little Magot not to make the deed of gift for her, to forget her, not to think of her at all. But Margot could never forget, and would never take the money. In the end, her wishes were carried out, and la belle grand-mère returned to the establishment at Arles. The Chateau Saint-Just was shut up for the present, but once every year it was opened and filled with servants. And little Margot was to spend a month there, with la belle grand-mère. For although she had given up the dot, she could not, by any manner of means, dispose of the Chateau Saint-Just, which was her direct property, coming to her through her own father and grandfather. End of chapter 21 Recording by Francesco Dembinski.